Hello, and welcome back to the woods, <laughs> a podcast about the mysterious, the legendary, and the plain weird, per usual, because you never know what you'll find in the woods. I'm Shazne. I'm Sandy. Are you getting tired of saying the same thing? I like to switch it up a bit. Oh, that's fair. Give our listeners, like, a... I like to surprise people. Yeah, keep them on their feet. I like it. Yeah. Or on their toes. I don't know. Just keep them on something. <laughs> keep them on something. <laughs> Sounds like we're selling drugs. We are not selling drugs. I mean... Well, you work at a pharmacy. <laughs> yeah. I've been selling a lot of people mandarin oranges this, like, like this past month because of Christmas. Christmas oranges. Yeah. That's so weird. Why are they Christmas oranges? I don't know. Or, like, yesterday, we had a lot of, like, older women. Like, you know that, was it Chex or Chix cereal? Chex, yeah. Chex. Okay, so we, we were running out because everyone was using it. I grew up uh, having Mexican Christmas, so I have no idea what people are using it for. But these old women were, like, really, like, where's your Chex cereal? I'm like, well, sorry, we ran out. Or, like, uh. This one lady said she really had to, like, n- like n- kneel down because it was on the bottom shelf yeah. way in the back. And she's like, because, like, if I can find these, then I guess my grandchildren are going to be sad this Christmas because I wasn't going to make the thing. Oh, my God. I need to know what this is. I think it's, oh, like, I have no idea. But, like, so many people were asking about it and so many people were angry that we didn't have any. And a lot of people said, like, oh, this is, like, the fourth store I've been to tonight that doesn't have this cereal. How am I going to make this thing? Like, I'm, I don't know. I'm sorry. Like, maybe a Christmas Chex Mix? Because they were just buying the cereal, so maybe, like, something like... Christmas Or Chex Mix Christmas Crack? Ooh, that sounds nice. Maybe I'll get some cereal and make some. Reindeer Chow? I don't know. That's Maybe I'll ask Ian's It mom. must be like a trail mix kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming. Because they also were buying a lot of like marshmallows. Another oh, thing yeah. selling right now are marshmallows and uh, the puff wheat cereal. So I think people are getting yeah. ready to make puff wheat cake. Yeah. Oh, uh, it makes me want to make all this stuff. Not that I'm good at bake. Um, but I try. Well, that stuff isn't really baking. No, yeah, that is true. It's super easy to do. I like baking, though. I like making cookies. I made gingerbread cookies last week. Ooh, nice. How's your week going, Sandy? It's been a rough week, but I'm okay now because I have Starbucks. Yeah, we can actually afford Starbucks for once. Well, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but yeah, but we pretend we can afford it. You know, fake once. it till you make it. Exactly. There was something else I was really excited about. It's all slipping my memory, but... Christmas is coming up, so... Mm-hmm. You're done finals? I'm done finals. It's all party time now. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, I'm sick, so that sucks. But I did another escape room on Sunday. Yep. At Escape City in Saskatoon. They are not sponsoring us. No, they're not. But we already, like, called them out once. So I thought it why well, not? We Can we keep doing that until they sponsor us? Yeah. Okay. Escape City. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Uh, <laughs> we keep I... doing their escape rooms until they sponsor <laughs> us. Yeah, we're on their Facebook page. So. Yeah. We're on our way there. Vision yeah. boarding 2019. Woo. Um, 
So I did, we did the cabin when we were there, and this time I did neurological. And it's super cool because you're in this person's brain and you have to like yeah. fix their brain. Okay, so, no, it's not, that sounds gross. It's, no, no, like in the it, brain. Sounds, it sounds gross, but also like really cool. It's not like pink inside the room. Oh, that's unfortunate. Wait, do we know that the brain is pink? Gray. <laughs> is it was the room gray? No. Oh. Okay. It's like you're in their thoughts. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. I guess is the best way to put it. But it's super cool. And there's actually two rooms being solved at the same time. So, like, you're split into two groups. And then you have to try to make your way together again. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, we actually got out in, like, a really decent amount of time. That's awesome. Yeah. We were just about on the leaderboard, but we like, five minutes away. It was cool. Let's go. We'll make it on the leaderboard. Yeah, because I already know it. Yeah. I don't know if I could figure it out. I think we guessed a lot, so I don't know if I could figure it out again. <laughs> it was fun. It was so fun. Yeah. yeah. Especially since I was with a bunch of strangers, so. Yeah. yeah. We found um, another escape room. Yeah, we gotta do that again. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, so I want to give a quick shout out to an author named Leslie Fear. Oh, yeah. I met her through a book club on Facebook. She gave me a copy of her ebook for an artist review, and I haven't finished it, but I started it, and so far I really enjoy it. She writes uh, paranormal romances. Ooh. Yeah, right now I'm reading uh, Graveyard Watchmen. Uh-huh. It's as spooky and intriguing as it sounds. So go check it out. It's on Amazon. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, you can just type in her name on Amazon and you should find it. Leslie Fear. Yeah. Yeah. We follow her on Instagram. Yeah, she follows us back. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Yeah. And uh, watch out for Sandy and I's new novel. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or are we? Are we? Guess uh, we'll figure that out in 2019. Yeah, maybe. I guess we'll see. Okay, Sandy, what do you have to spook me with this week? Okay, so this story isn't really spooky per se, uh, but it is very sad. <laughs> um, though, like, I guess you could say it's a little mysterious, like, uh, how it all happened was a little weird. Um, and also, I would like to dedicate the story to my boyfriend, who is gaming right now. Uh, if he ever listens to this, you know why this is dedicated to you. Hi, Ian. Uh, Shazne, you'll see why it's dedicated to him. I think you told me. It's about hockey. Yeah. But I didn't tell you it's about his favorite team. Oh. Yeah. Oh, this is gonna be a good one, guys. Okay. So today I'm going to talk about the disappearance of Bill Bar... Bar... (laughs) I can't pronounce this. Oh my god, I thought I could. Anyways, the disappearance of Bill Barilko? Sure, we'll go with that. Barilko. 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 Bill Barilko. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Okay, William Barilko, uh, commonly known as Bashing Bill, was born March 25th, 1927 in Timmins, Ontario, Canada. He was a Canadian ice hockey player who played his entire National Hockey League career, uh, so the NHL, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
What's concerning is we actually both chose semi-Canadian places. Awesome. I mean, I didn't specifically say, like, someone who went missing in hockey, but I just found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's, mine's something that I heard about when it, like, when I came out. And it just happened to be about a Canadian. Awesome. I don't know. I'm kind of... I guess we're just true Canadians. I'm actually, like, a bit patriotic, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I feel patriotic to, uh... I mean, I wasn't born in Canada, but I do feel a loyalty to it. And I get excited when I listen to podcasters from Canada, so... Yeah. Me too. Um, so in February of 1947, Bill was called up to the Toronto Maple Leafs from the Pacific Coast Hockey Leaf, I think. Yes, um, Pacific Coast Hockey Leaf. I hope I did not just write leaf. Is it supposed to be league? Oh, it's supposed to be league. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one with fucked up. I wish I had more wine. Okay, I'm going to start that paragraph over again. I'm so sorry, future Shazney. Oh, I'll probably keep that in. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Do not. Yes, we'll see. Oh, I'm scared now. I'm going to restart that over anyway. Uh, in February of 1947, Bill was called up to the Toronto Maple Leafs from... <laughs> to start anymore oh, I, don't, I don't want to restart it just restart okay in february february of 1947 bill was called up to the toronto maple leafs okay you haven't memorized you can just like say that's uh, mess. Just say it. You know the first few sentences. Uh, in February of 1947, Bill was called to the Toronto Maple Leafs by the Pacific uh, Coast Hockey League, which is non-existent anymore. Uh, I don't know why. It just said this, this, this league doesn't exist anymore. It's a, It was a minor league hockey thing. Oh, well, you know, leagues, they come and go. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> Ian? Ian? Uh, he played for Toronto until his death. He debuted for the Leafs in a sweater. Uh, I, I guess it wasn't a jersey per se, but a sweater number 21. And then changed to the number 19 in the 1948 to 1949 and the 1949 to 1950 season. Then he wore number 5 for one season from 1950 to 1951. And apparently this number is retired anymore. So like no new members or like no new players on the team can be number five anymore. I really hope the sweater was like handed by his grandmother. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, during the span of five seasons, Bashing Bill and the Maple Leafs were Stanley Cup champions on four occasions. The last goal scored by Bill was in overtime against the Montreal Canadiens, which I don't think you have to be a hockey fan to know that they like hate each other. 
Yeah. Yeah, the Canadians and the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Um, Enemies. Yeah. This goal won the Maple Leafs the Stanley Cup. And from what I read, the crowd, which was just under 15,000 people, went nuts and were just super pumped that the Leafs beat their rivals, the Montreal Canadiens. And as was mentioned, this was unfortunately Bill's last goal. Wow. So four months later, in August of 1951, Bashing Bill disappeared, vanished into thin air, you could say. He was visiting family in his hometown of Timmins when he decided to go fishing before returning to the training camp in Toronto to train for the new hockey season. Uh, the fishing trip was kind of a last-minute thing. His friend and dentist, Henry Hudson, was like, hey, let's go fishing. And he's like, all right, chill. Be friends with your dentist. I mean, it probably has benefits. Yeah. Yeah. They were going to fly to Rupert House on James Bay in northern Quebec. Uh, so apparently they left on August 24th, which happened to be a Friday. And it was Bill's first time flying in somewhere to fish. He was uh, excited about it, but his mother, Faye Bar-Lico, Bar-Ilko, didn't want him to go. She told him not to go to that wild bush country. And that was a quote. Uh, <laughs> don't go to that wild bush country. Uh, but just by air, I guess she was fine if he, like, I don't know, drove there. But by air, she was not okay with that. Weird. Yeah. Uh, she said she had had a premonition that something bad would have happened. And she explained that her husband had died on a Friday. And she didn't want Bill to do anything adventurous or dangerous on any Friday. So she told Bill that she would rather die than see him take this trip. Uh, he didn't listen to her and laughed at her. So she was so mad at him, she refused to kiss him goodbye. Also, what, like, I don't know, what a fight to have with your mom. Yeah. You laugh at her, she doesn't want to kiss you goodbye. <laughs> uh, Bill and Henry left Friday morning in Henry's single-engine Fairchild 24. I have no idea what that means, so if you like planes, maybe that means something to you. Email <laughs> us so we know what it means. And they were last seen filling up the plane on their way back home on Sunday afternoon. However, they never arrived back home. The Royal Canadian Air Force, or the RCAF, so close to RCMP, Yeah, uh, quickly organized a search with dozens of planes, personnel, and local searchers. Some of these pilots were confident that the two men were still out there because Henry was an experienced pilot who would fly to fishing and hunting trips quite a bit. Mm -hmm. However, uh, Faye, Bill's mom, wasn't so confident. She was hysterical and sobbed, my poor Billy, over and over to the news reporter. And about four days after he was declared missing, she took a plane to the town of, and I'm going to butcher this, Cap, Cap, Capus Casing? Right there. Capuscasing. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, which is near Thunder Bay, Ontario. And she thought that maybe if she went, uh, she would, like, I don't know, radiate luck and find him. And then two months later, there were there was no sign of the missing plane or the two guys. The search ended up costing about $385,000, which today is $3.7 million. It was the most expensive search in Canadian military history. What? Yeah, so they were just like, we got to find Bash and Bill. Yeah. I mean, he beat the Montreal Canadiens. So. Fair. Fair. I can see why. Yeah. pretty important. So, of course, people have theories, and here's two that I found... Uh, some people, like, I, I find these are both equally ridiculous, but 
Though some people speculated that since he grew up poor, that maybe he tried to smuggle gold out of northern Ontario and into the U.S. That's weird. Yeah, or others were like, he escaped to Russia to teach Russians uh, the secrets of the hockey game. I doubt it. Yeah. Like, is he going to take this plane? I feel like like they're just taking it to go fishing. It can't um, make a trip to that's Russia. That's not going to be a big freaking plane. I mean, they hockey? What do you mean you want to talk about hockey? And also, like, yeah. he's a he was a pretty big uh, hockey player. Like, why would he just leave? Like, he's making bank. Yeah. I mean, I could see him, like, maybe... Wait, did they ever find the dentist? Yes. Okay, never mind. I was going to say, <laughs> what if they're, they're lovers and they flew away together? And... Ooh. Romantic. Tragic romance. Yeah. Well... Uh, on June of 1962, 11 years after bashing Bill's disappearance, the Maple Leafs won a Stanley Cup again, and a helicopter pilot named Ron Boyd spotted metal wreckage among thick black spruce. Then, on June 6th, searchers hiked up the dense bush and found the Fairchild 24. Uh, it was partly submerged in a swamp, its wings were torn off, and the cabin was partially burnt. Two skeletons were strapped in their seats, and the remains of fish uh, were stored in a smashed pontoon. Investigators said that Bill and Henry were killed on impact. The cause of the crash was determined to have been a combination of pilot inexperience, poor weather, and overloaded cargo. But, like, before, everyone's like, don't worry, Henry's so experienced, and now they're saying, no, he wasn't experienced, and that's why the plane crashed. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know, take that as you will, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, something that was a little weird or creepy maybe to me was that, like, the Leafs won the Stanley Cup right before he disappeared and didn't win it again until the year that he was discovered. So how long had it been? 11 years. So they didn't win a Stanley Cup in 11 years. And then the year that they the found Bastion Bill. It took them Bill, 11 years to find it when they were searching the hell out of the area. Maybe it was one of those, like, uh, we shifted into an ultimate alternate dimension for a bit. I was just thinking, bit. like, a time paradox or something. Yeah. Because, like, apparently they were looking under every twig, like... Is he under here? <laughs> basically. Um, so, Bill is now buried in his hometown of Timmins, Ontario, at the Timmins Memorial Cemetery. And every time I see the word Timmins, I keep wanting to say Timmies. Mm-hmm. Um... So since his death, people have honored him in many ways. One song, or one way, is a song from 1992 called "50 Mission Cap" by the Tragically Hip. Oh, yep, yep. It's a song about Bashin Bill's death and the Leafs Stanley Cup drought. The song remains a staple part of the Leafs warm-up playlist at every home game, and the Leafs have a framed hand copy, like or handwritten copy of the lyrics to the song in the private players lounge yeah uh, whenever uh, the band played at the air canada center bill's retired number banner was always left in place during the concert um so at first i was like why is this sad song being played like as a warm-up song but then i like i heard it and i was like okay i can see people lifting weights to this but it was still it's still very sad <laughs> i gotta listen to it yeah uh, Bill's story was published in the 1988 book Overtime Overdue. The Bill Bar, ugh, this name, the Bill Barilko story by John Mulady, and another book in 2004 called Bar, 
or it'll go without a trace by Kevin Shea. Then in 2017, TSN aired a documentary called The Mission and talked about the project to recover the remaining wreckage of the plane. Mm-hmm. Also, this film took the title from the song 50 Mission Cackle. Mm-hmm. So. That was the disappearance of Bastion Bill. Yeah, so I found that was more interesting than it was spooky, but I don't know. Any it's anytime kind of spooky. Well, anytime someone disappears, I'm personally thoroughly creeped out, no matter what the circumstances were. Yeah. And also, like, I asked Ian about this. I'm like, Ian, what do you know about this hockey player? And he goes, nothing. Mm. I thought you were a diehard fan. Obviously not. Fake fan, Ian. Name five of their songs. The tragic <laughs> There's that stupid meme like, you, oh, do, yeah. you, yeah, do you love your mom? Name five of her songs. <laughs> it was like one time Angela and Oscar were fighting about whether Oscar liked the Backstreet Boys or not. Oh my god. Like, <laughs> Angela like storms in and like Oscar was like laying down listening to music and she's like, you don't like the Backstreet Boys? <laughs> he goes... I do like I do like the Backstreet Boys. She's like, no, you don't need five of their songs. <laughs> I don't know why she was so mad about it, but <laughs> apparently Oscar's not a true Backstreet Boy fan. Oh, poor Oscar. According to Angela. <laughs> Am I going to lose sleep? No. Oh. That's Maybe. Funny. I don't know. Okay. I will start this off by saying that uh missing like persons. It's like one of the scariest things ever to me. Like whenever somebody like from around me, like Saskatchewan or Canada or something like goes missing, I'm up like all night waiting for updates. Well, I mean, it's different when it comes close to home, right? Yeah. It's like freaky. And also and then, there's... And especially the ones that never get solved. Well, there's that thing how like humans are afraid of the unknown, right? Like what's scarier? Being chased by a monster that you can see or being chased by something in the dark that you can't see. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's that fear of the unknown. Like, we don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary. Anyway, All right. Okay, me. so this is the case of Jane Doe number 59. Oh, that's, scre- that's creepy. Creepy. <laughs> I was gonna say scary. The first sentence is you already shook. Like, well, it's like Jane Doe number fifty nine. Like, there's a number of them. Okay, <laughs> there, there's quite a few. All right. So, it was nineteen sixty nine in Los Angeles when a young woman's body was found near the site of the Charles Manson family killings. Ugh. She had been stabbed one hundred and fifty times, murdered with no identification. The 19-year-old was only known as Sherry Doe or Jane Doe, number 59. It wasn't until 2016, 46 years later, that the f- that her name would come to light and her family would have closure. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's freaky, man. So, it turned out that Jane, Jane Doe, number 59, had a name the whole time, and it was actually Reet Jurbitson. She had been born to Estonian refugee parents who made their way to Montreal, Quebec when Reet was only one year old. Reet was described as a happy, artistic, free-spirited girl. When she graduated from West Hill High School, she moved to Toronto to pursue a job with Canada Post, where she would eventually meet a young, mysterious lad named John. 
Ugh, those young mysterious lads. Yep. She was smitten with him, and being a very trust, trusting girl, she saved her doll, dollars and decided to visit him in L.A., Los Angeles, California, when he so, moved there. Oh, okay, so she met him, like, in Canada, in and Toronto. then he moved? Yeah, like, they said he relocated to L.A. Okay. Okay. It just, like... Yeah. I was imagining maybe, like, she found the letter and somehow they just started Oh, my God. She just, like, opened the letter and was like, oh, this boy sounds cute. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Like, don't texting, know. but in the 60s. Oh, that'd be so cute. <laughs> For a story. Ian, why don't you ever send me letters? Where the book about it? Yeah, Ian, God. <laughs> um, so, she saved her money to go to California to see John, and then... She decided to stay there with John. She had written her family and a friend some postcards stating that she found an apartment and that she was happy and they didn't need to worry about her. Lies. So I actually have the postcard. Ooh. Um, but it said it was written in Estonian. Okay. So, like, only her family can understand it. Dear mother and father, the weather is nice and the people are kind. I have a nice little apartment. I go frequently to the beach. Please write to me. Hugs, Reet. So, pretty soon, the family would never hear hear from Reet again. Her family tried reaching out to her. They even hired a private investigator. But after no success, they assumed that she was just living her life. She was pretty free-spirited, so they assumed, mm-hmm. like, she just wanted to go her own way. And she was just living life how she liked it. They imagined she eventually settled down, maybe with a family, and that someday they would hear from her again. They had no idea about the awful end to the young Reet's life only weeks weeks after she had left home. Yeah, it's really creepy. So, Reet Jurvetson's body had been found by a 15-year-old bird watcher in a bush right near Maholland Drive, where the Sharon Tate massacre happened only a few months before. So that was um, the death of Sharon Tate. Uh, she was murdered by the Manson family. Mm-hmm. Um, her body had been dumped in a ravine, but a branch stopped her from falling all the way down. She was discovered approximately two days after her murder. There's speculation that the Manson family murders and the slaying of Reet are connected, but Charles Manson, after multiple interviews, denied any involvement. A similar in appearance lady was seen with the Manson family days before the murder. With no significant proof, the LAPD have ruled that it is highly unlikely that they are connected, and the most likely suspect is that of John, or they also think maybe his name is Jean, um, whom Reed was traveling to visit and mm-hmm. living with. At the scene of where the body was found, a pair of nearsighted glasses were located close by, and they believed to be to possibly belong to the suspect. Reed had no drugs or alcohol in her system, and she had not been sexually assaulted prior to her death. Thank God. Mm-hmm. She had also been wearing a jacket and boots made in um, in Canada, shorts from Massachusetts, shorts from Massachusetts, and two rings, one of which was from Mexico. She had, like, a bunch of clothing from kind of all over the place. So they had a hard time kind of figuring out maybe, like, where she was from. Yeah. But they figured, like, they thought maybe she was from Spain or Canada. Based on that. 
Um, there had been police sketches, but the composite drawings looked unrecognizable when placed side by side with pictures of the beautiful and youthful, youthful Reet. It was no longer, it was no wonder, but she was never identified. In 2015, friends of Reet's sister, Anne, who I believe she was the eldest sibling, mm-hmm. were able to see post-mortem photos of Jane Doe number 59. Uh, they had gone online to one of the missing people's databases in America and they were yeah. just kind of flipping through them and then they noticed like the green eyes that this girl had and they're like that looks like Anne's sister mm. so after telling Anne about it and reading the descriptions Anne sent in some DNA samples uh, her DNA sample was compared to DNA from a blood-stained bra and it was a positive match so that was I guess the item of clothing that they still had around from mm. this missing lady's um, body. <laughs> John, or also known as Jean, they're not sure his name, he was described by a Montreal witness to have been a medical student and to be identical in the way he looked to the Doors singer Jim Morrison. So he had that long, brown, big hair and classic yeah they said he was always like clean cut um this this witness worked at a coffee shop he was also uh, like a local artist and he had seen um reet and this man there a few times Mm. yeah so he had seen reet at a cafe in montreal before her disappearance it was a cafe often frequented by young hippie-esque kids as well as possibly a drug den and criminal biker hangout so there's uh, a second suspect is John had a roommate who they think was also named John. <laughs> John and John. Um, and there's a description of him as well because somehow somebody figured out who he was. They don't have a name, but like he just kind of showed up. They have a description of him. It's really weird. I don't know yeah. where that came from. But he was described to have a Beatles-style haircut, so like a black kind of bob-looking yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> And possibly the same name of either John or Jean, and had informed a friend of Reet that he lived with John and Reet in an apartment in LA together. So somehow he got in touch with someone. Uh, the mysterious roommate claims that Reet had left the boys on their on her own terms, and that she was happy and in no danger. He claims that Reet left and they didn't see him or her again. Hmm, sounds suspicious. Um. A third suspect is that of M. Lindhorst, who had lived across the hall from Reet and the two roommates. The LAPD are hoping that this individual could be of help to the investigation. And then, oh gosh, that was super short. There's, um, I have the address in which she lived in California. So it was 5311 Melrose Avenue, apartment 306, Hollywood, California, postal code Nine zero zero The building was once called Paramount Hotel. However, it was demolished in 1989, and a new building has since been put in its place. Um, so I just wanted to say, uh, talk to your grandparents if you live in, like, the area, and see if they knew anybody who lived in the building at the time or something, because, like, someone knows something. They always do. Oh, yeah. There's got to be some information out there. Like, it's crazy that her body, because she was murdered and then put into the backseat of a car. 
and then dragged from the back seat of the car around back to the trunk and then pushed down this ravine. Like, I'm going to assume that this road is probably a pretty busy road that's in California. Yeah. So there's somebody's had to have seen something, you know? And I know it's been so long. It's been well over 46 years now, I guess. 48 years. But you never know. Like, these people could still be out there. Um, and if you do know something, this investigation is still ongoing. Any information can be sent to the Robbery Homicide Division Cold Case Unit. Detectives Luis... Rivera and Veronica Conrado at 213-486-6810. During non-business hours or on weekends, uh, you can call 1-877-LAPD-247. And anyone wishing to remain anonymous, you can call the LA Regional Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or to their website, lacrimestoppers.org. That would be neat if we can find out why this who did out. it. Yeah. So, who do you think did it? I think it was the boys. I also think it was the boys. Yeah. For someone named John and John, or Jean and Jean. <laughs> or John and Jean, or Jean and John. <laughs> but, like, I could see them. It's so weird. Okay, this was within a week. So, she went to L.A. They got, quotations, an apartment together and were happy, quotations. And then she left. No, like, I doubt it. Um, within weeks? Like, yeah. Within, like, like a couple weeks. If, it, if she had to leave, something must have happened. Because, yeah. like, she obviously didn't know anyone else I feel like LA. she wanted to leave. Or something worse. Like, I think, like, they said that the cafe in Montreal was, like, a drug den. So, perhaps he was associated with drugs. I could see that being the case. Yeah. Especially, why would he go from Montreal to L.A. as a med student? Yeah, that's weird. Because, I mean, I don't know what it was like in the 60s, but now, if you're medically trained in Canada, that doesn't mean you can practice in the U.S. You have to go through medical school from mm-hmm. the beginning in every country you go to. And I swear I totally missed a paragraph, because he it said that he had a French accent as well. Well, I mean, he's from Montreal. Well, that's they don't know if he's actually from there or not. So I'm assuming mm. that he is. Just from somewhere in Quebec. And he's not even Canadian. Maybe he's French. Yeah, they said he he has a French accent. So he's probably from Montreal or Quebec, and then was going to LA. But why? And then, like the family never reported her missing because they thought that she was just off living her life. But if she had been with these boys. Well, I mean, I guess nowadays we have, like, Facebook and we have ways of, like, directly communicating. If I didn't hear from my sister, I would be worried. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just because we live in a time where everyone's connected. Yeah, I like, I, I get why the family didn't do anything. Because, like, I feel like it was just different back then. You didn't have a way to communicate. You just wrote letters. And I guess they had phones, but long distance probably wasn't very accessible. It still isn't, so... Mm-hmm. And then they knew that she was really free spirited. Like they, um, in high or in her teens, she became that way. So they just kind of figured, oh, she's probably just off adventuring. She's probably fine. 
they had no idea that something like this would have happened. I would have been concerned when a, I hired a PI and the PI didn't find anything. Yeah. Um, they had contacted the person who I think owned the building that mm-hmm. she had an apartment in, and they said that uh, she had packed all her things and left like a few weeks before. But I honestly, I don't know. I, I think it's those roommates. I don't trust them. And I, I'm glad to see that she wasn't um, involved with drugs because like, she didn't have drugs in her system. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe they were on drugs, wanted to leave, and then they were scared that she'd tell or someone. Or that they like were involved in drug yeah. crimes. Like, I totally think it's probably um, drug-related. Probably. Uh, oh, I was going to say, though, like, the pictures that they drew were so not what she looks like at all. Like, she is, like, super pretty. Like, she could have been a model. <laughs> so, okay, so those sketches, what were they? That's her. Oh, yeah. Like, she looks like a model. Mm-hmm. She's, like, so pretty. And what are the sketches? And then, those look like her. No. No, not at all. So, were th- what were they sketching? Were they sketching the dead body? Were they sketching what they thought she looked like? Yeah, it would have been the dead body. Well, no. <laughs> like, no wonder you couldn't recognize her. She looks like she was sick. There's um, there's another one. This last one. Mm-hmm. It's like, supposed to be like her jacket and her belt that she was wearing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But she looks so moody and like, like she looks like a drug dealer or something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these sketches like really didn't help her case at all. No. Yeah, that's completely like not. they almost they paint a bias against her. Oh, and these are the boys. Classic mysterious lad. <laughs> that's honestly how I imagined him when you said mysterious lad. <laughs> <laughs> not even the Jim Morrison part, just mysterious <laughs> lad. Um. Yeah, I'm in the Beatles haircut. It's funny. Yeah, they're apparently both pretty young guys. Like they they look young. But interesting that they they found. Of who she was. I remember when the case was, like, updated in 2016. I don't know, the Jane Doe thing really creeped me out. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so many of them. <coughs> Interesting. That's my theory. Yeah, no, totally. I don't think it was related to the Manson family murders. Because I feel like he would have confessed. Because he confessed to, like, his other crimes, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so why yeah, would... I think so. All right, well, uh, thanks for listening. Um, We have a few shout-outs to give. Yeah, I just want to give thanks again to our podcasting pals, uh, Creep It Real, Bumblebutt, What's Blood Got To Do With It, and Undercover Coven. We love all of you, and we enjoy seeing you guys on Instagram. Thanks to all our listeners. Thanks for listening. Uh, Stay tuned for next week, where we have a very special episode. We do, yeah. And I think the week after that, we also have a very special episode. Yeah, we have two special episodes coming up. Woo! So, uh, yeah, you know, the usual. Check us out on Instagram at The Woods Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Woods Podcast. We have a blog. It's called thewoodspodcast.home.blog. Email us at thewoodspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd like to thank the wonderful, amazing, very talented Jason Shaw for our beautiful opening, Running Waters. Sorry, that smile. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.